you very much, Ben. Uh, this, whoa, <laughs> now I've got to calm down. All right. Uh, it has been good. I've been gone for uh, three weeks now, uh, and some of it feels like I haven't been here in eternity. Other parts of me feels like I never left. And so uh, one good thing is, uh, out of all, listen, I've got a lot to say. Uh, you, <laughs> some of you think that's the truth. Ed saw my notes. I've got six pages, okay? I usually preach from four pages, all right? But three weeks gone. I killed some hogs, all right? So mission accomplished, all right? Got, got a hold of some of those things. But it is exciting to be back in the pulpit. It is exciting specifically in light of the last three weeks, some of the things I've been thinking about um, in regards to, well, this topic of spiritual unity. And so this morning we come to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And this morning's sermon title is, it's very simple, it's a, it's a recipe for spiritual unity. A recipe for spiritual unity. One, you have the ingredients. We'll see that in a second. And two, you have the model. You have the ingredients, you have the model for spiritual unity for us as people of God. And so this morning, um, it, is, it is this. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest uh, uh, attacks uh, facing the church, one of the, uh, the, the greatest sources or the enemies of the church today, perhaps one of those is an attack on the, the, the inerrancy of Scripture. It means the Bible itself, the Word of God, is under full assault. Can it be trusted? Is it true and if that is an issue of, of an attack on God's word, the inerrancy of God's word, a second part to that, today, unlike any other time possibly in a really long time in Christian history, is not only is it an attack on the inerrancy of scripture, the question is, not only is it inerrant, but is it sufficient? In other words, is it enough? Even if it is true, don't we need more? The answer to that is, yes, it is true, and no, we don't need more. More of it, please. And so if this is an aspect of our culture, spiritual apathy, a general coldness to biblical truths and God's standard and righteousness, that, that is going on constantly today as the church goes. And here's the thing. It seems to me, and we've, you know me enough to say, everyone seems to like Jesus until he speaks. Everyone loves God until God has something to say. And that's when we begin to pick and choose and make maybe perhaps a God in our own image. This is an attack on God himself, his word. But however, equally to be feared is perhaps whatever attacks the unity of the church. The unity of the church. You see, all of these things both can disrupt, it can weaken and destroy a church. By causing discord, disharmony, a conflict and divisions within the ranks of Christ's people. It distracts from God's purpose and glory. And, and brothers and sisters, you need to understand this can happen both locally in the, the confines of the local church, but also outwardly as uh, the church universal, the church of God throughout the world and throughout time. And disunity is a potential danger for every church and is something that we must stand vigilant over and against. Not just as a church, but listen, as a people, as an individual, as a personal individual. Which is to say, when disunity is being experienced... Now, I need to say something real quick. I'm going to full stop real quick. Full stop. Kyle, you're talking about disunity. Well, uh, listen, if you've read the Bible long enough, you'll realize real quick that probably if you walk in the light of Scripture and for the glory of God, do you think that you'll have unity with the world? No. So I'm going to just let you know right now, and you're going to see this in a minute. This disunity will come because of truth. Disunity will come because of what God's called us to be and do in this world. But we're not talking about those big ticket items. We're going to look at those in a second. Of, of first, maybe even a, a, a secondary doctrinal importance, importances. Those are important. We're going to look at that in a minute. We're talking about those primary and foundational issues of, of a disagreement or, or we, reasons why we don't like this person or that person. We can't do this with this person. We can't do that person. We can't have a conversation with this person. We can't, because of things that we put in the place of those absolute most important things that will separate us. The color of carpets. What will we do with this thing or that thing? Or how will we do that next uh, missions drive? Or uh, what will the, the marquee out front say this Sunday morning? 
Maybe it's the way in which we approach this or that. Maybe it's in church planning. It's a, it's a, it's a philosophical thing. It's, it's I do it a little differently here. Maybe it's music. Music is one of the great, greatest and biggest beautiful things in the life of the church to, to lift their eyes to God and to worship Him and also be used as this thing which simply separates us all the time. Well, I don't like. Well, to me, and you'll see there are moments in which we must Disagree, and those disagreements will cause possibly as a sense of disunity. But listen, we're not talking about those this morning, or else we will in a minute. But if we use tertiary and 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 fourthiary and and fifthiary, yeah, I just made up some words. You see that? I'm not very good at math. To, 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 to put our houses upon. These are the foundations of who we are as Christianity. And if you look my way and think differently, I can never worship with you. Brothers and sisters, when we, when we start to do those things, if we're not careful, we may be doing the very bidding of the evil one and not God at all. There is a real warning to be heard and to be seen here this morning in this text. Let's make sure... And I, I, I believe with all my heart, I, I do, I believe this, that everyone that walked into this room this morning, I assume that you want to be used in the hand of Almighty God and not Satan. Is it okay for me to accept that? I don't think anybody came here this morning and was like, I'm going to church today because I want to be used for Satan. Unless you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, you're going to kill us or something like that. You know, like you're going to bite onto. Listen, I assume that every one of us wants to be used of God. And if that's the case, and if that is true, then we must pay attention to this morning's text. Before we do that, I want to read you something from Proverbs. And I think I have it up here on the screen. Proverbs 6, 15 through 17. And there is a warning that is given here. And it would do well for us all to stop and listen to God's holy word. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, the text says hates. Utterly loathes. God hates something. God loathes something. Seven in our abomination. Stop. People say, well, six things here listed, seven are abomination. What's the seventh one? What you'll, if you'll notice in the text, you'll see in a minute, lying is kind of given twice. But listen, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And here's the lineup. Haughty eyes, ones that look and devise plans for wicked things, that desire this covetous eyes, haughty also in spirit, is pride-filled. It's, 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 it's to be prideful, it's to be haughty, it's to be arrogant, but it's also to be haughty, prideful, and arrogant in a covetous way, to, to desire. A lying tongue, God hates. Hands that shed innocent blood, of course. A heart that devises wicked plans. That, that is, that's not, that's, we're not talking about, whoops, I, I messed up. That's devises. Sits and thinks about how. Feet that make haste to run to evil. I mean, he just runs at it like a, like a moth to an open flame. Look at these two. A false witness. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. I want to hone in on the last two this morning. In light of Philippians 2 this morning, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers, the text says God absolutely abhors, God hates with his soul. In Scripture, Paul addressed some of, some of the extent of this in every one of his letters. I'm literally, if you look at every single one of Paul's letters and, and who wrote Philippians, you'll see this. But I, let me give you some examples. They're not on the screen, but you can write them down if you want. Romans 15, Romans 15, 5 through 7, the Apostle Paul says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ. Listen. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore is always very important in Scripture. It's saying, therefore, something was just spoken, therefore. And here it says here, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, listen, 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called, listen to this, in one body. Interestingly, the two passages that I just read to you, they share something in regards to this morning's text of Philippians 2, 1 through 11, what we're going to look at in a minute. And what I want you to know about what they have in common is this. And you can write this down because we're going to be talking about these a lot in the midst of this sermon. What they have in common is cause and they have effect. There is a cause and there is an effect. In other words, something is causative. Something happens and therefore something falls out on the back end. Something, something happens because something first happened. I, I look at Romans, the one I just read to you. Listen, therefore welcome one another as Christ has also welcomed you. How do we welcome others? Because Christ has welcomed us. Cause, effect. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive others. Cause leads to effect. This morning in our text, you're going to see a line of cause and effects that are all throughout our text, specifically in the first four or five verses. Let me just say this before we read this text again and go deep into it. The church in Philippi, we've already looked at this, was for the most part a theologically sound church. They were devoted, they were moral, they were loving, they were zealous. We know them to be generous and even courageous for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world in which they lived. We know this, yet it faced the danger. The church faced the danger of discord that often can generate. And usually... It's usually just by a handful of people. That's the way it works, church. It, it, it works in the midst like gangrene. It's like cancer. And it attacks every little thing. It only takes a little bit. It only takes a little bit of cyanide to mess, in, mess up my entire water bottle of water. It's just a little bit. Okay, just a little bit. It has effect. And here we have before us this, this idea that disunity that comes by the tongue of individuals, this little morsels of things that get out and it becomes like cancer until it weakens the entirety of the whole. Brothers, may it not be said, may it not be so. Sisters, no. Although our English version finds it necessary, in other words, in English, when you look at this text this morning, I need you to know a couple things. Uh, in our English version, we subdivide these four verses, uh, or these passages, into uh, several sentences. In Greek, in the original, these passages are they're like basically a run-on sentence. They're not sentence, they don't have periods. It's, it's a part of the same sentence, with its only imperative verb in the text being complete my joy. Which is to say, when Paul writes this, the other verbs in the sentence structure, and what we're going to look at in a minute, they're all subordinate clauses. They subordinate the main, which serves to elaborate how the Philippians can complete this joy that Paul speaks of. Complete my joy, Paul says. Make my joy complete. You see, Paul is a leader whose desire was to see the realities of this text being lived out in the church of Philippi. This attitude he desired would be in the hearts of the people in whom this pastor's Shepherd was to shepherd. And as he saw their attitude, the way of life, the way they conducted themselves in this manner, was to be like a healing balm, a cold water on a hot day, sweet music. It is to be life-giving. This is the church member that not only brings God joy, however, I'm going to get a soapbox, can I do that? I'm a pastor, a leader in the church. It brings leadership joy. Like, well, I don't even like you, Pastor Kyle. What do I want you to have joy for? Well, then you got something wrong with your soul, right? That's not the idea here. We know this in Hebrews 13, 17. But I want you to see something in regards to this shepherd's heart. Not meaning this shepherd. I'm talking about Paul. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, such a spirit in any church breeds joy as opposed to its opposite. Now, let me put a pin in it real quick, and you're going to sit there and say to me, 
Kyle, that seems like a really generic statement. Um, what if my leadership is really, really horrible? Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about individuals who are known for their sinfulness. I'm not talking about individuals who are leading and they lead us away from God's word or the people of, of God understand very rightly that this person is not to be followed. We're not talking about that. We're not talk what I'm talking about is leadership that may say things and do things that may, they may not rub you the right way or this way, but the question is, is it sinful? Is it sin? If a pastor's calling you to sin, by all means, take up your Bibles, close them up, and run out the front door quickly. Leave such a place and do it quickly and take some others with you. It's not good. We're not talking about first and tertiary. Listen, we'll get that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. My skis. I can see my skis. Don't get ahead of them. Look at me in Proverbs 17, 21 through 22, and it says this. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In regards to being a pastor, not a father, but pastor, those of us in, in ministry, if we sire fools out of our ministry or out of the pulpit or, 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 or those things that we shepherd, in our shepherding, we're, we're constantly leading people, maybe it's through our model, praise, I hope to God that's not the case. Pray that that's not. But what will we get from our service, our model that we set before others? It says that we will have be dejected of spirit. It is like it dries up the bones of those who lead. My prayer is that you will receive joy in serving Christ for the glory of God and for your own personal joy in that endeavor, knowing who we were apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to. And that flows from the text, that flows from God's spirit, it flows from the pulpit, it's pastors on unto you, and that literally that we as pastors, I know we talk about and pray about this often, that we see that in you also, and it gives life. That it is life-giving. This is the difference between pastoring, and here we all are, and I'm one of these people, by the way, often. How many of you have ever been a life sucker? No one's going to own it, but you should. Every one of you have sucked a little bit of life out of some room at some point in your lives. I'm sorry. You went to a church you didn't like. You went to a party you didn't like. You did whatever. You went to a movie. No, it was stupid. I hate it. <laughs> Somebody else is having joy, and you just literally sucked it out of the room. And all of you are guilty for it, including this guy. My wife says to me sometimes, can't you just have a little fun? I'm like, well, there's nothing to have fun about. Find something, Right? Truthfully, brothers and sisters, listen, this is the, this, this is the idea of, of shepherding, and, and, this, and it, it can be, it's in the family, we see this in Proverbs, these are list keepers, these are the constant complainers, uh, after everything they speak, you hear, wah, wah, wah. they walk into a room, wah, wah, wah. interestingly, when an encouragement, or an encourager, a life giver, a joy-filled person gives critique or gives criticism, it carries with it weight. For such a one, the leaders don't question the heart and motive of such quite as much. Their counsel can be seen as fine medicine. How many of you have ever been sick? Okay, how many of you like the taste of medicine? You guys are just not very fun today, okay? You need to wake up, right? We don't like to taste the medicine, but medicine helps us. It helps us out. It's interesting that when you have joy-filled people, people who are, who, who their motive or their intentions are one thing, and they speak forth the criticism or, or constructively so, it carries with it a different level of weight. Maybe I'm speaking of myself. Maybe I'm showing my sinfulness. But I actually listen to those people more. Not the wah, wah, wah. You expect them to do it. And you can't trust the motive of it because they do it all the time. But the joy field, those who experience some level of, of interconnectivity, you're going to see that right now in the text. Okay, Kyle, get on with it. Let's do it. Causative effect. First, the causes. Now, allow us to look more deeply into this cause and effect. If you look in your, uh, your, your passage this morning, if you notice, this section starts with two words. So if. So if. 
These, what I'm about to say in this line of, lineup is the causes. And what comes after are the effects. It's the thens. And it is this link that I would not desire for any of us in this room to miss this morning. So if you go, excuse me, let me, one second, let me get some water because I think I just uh, ate my tongue. All right. This morning in Philippians 2, look at me. So if, causative, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, stop. Church, listen, if, if you're in this room right now, you, uh, this is so huge. If there is any encouragement in Christ, the word encouragement comes from the Greek word periklesis, which we get perikaleo. Now, you know, I think, in this church that word very well. And if you don't, you'll know it real quickly. The word perikaleo is the one who comes alongside of, the one who, 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 who runs with, the one who undergirds. It's the helper. Oftentimes, this word is in connection to the Holy Spirit himself. Here it says, the Apostle Paul says, if there is any, if any one of you in Philippi, if you have any encouragement in Christ, which means to be a parakaleo, to be the paraclete, is to be in close proximity. And please listen to those two words, close proximity, because I'm going to say them more than once. If you have any encouragements, close proximity by the helper who is Christ, then... So if you have any comfort from love, the word comfort, paramuthion, in Greek, it means speaking closely with another. It's speaking to someone as to give counsel and comfort. It's to give solace. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you again, this word has to do with close proximity. If you have any encouragements in Christ, if you have any comfort from God's counsel, Closeness, relationship with Jesus, then. Again, so if, in this line of four, any participation in the Spirit. Oh, I love this word, participation. We get the word fellowship from it. You already know it, koinonia. Koinonia is partnership and mutual sharing. And this is what? Any participation in the Spirit. Close proximity with the Spirit of Almighty God. So, then, once again, close proximity. Four, so if any affection and sympathy. Affection here uh, refers to the bowels. It's the stomach. It's the seed of emotion. In, in English, in American culture, or at least in the West, we say, I feel it in my heart. I just feel it in my heart. You've heard this before? You know, like, I just know it's right. Why? Because I feel it in my heart. Well, in Judaism, it was... I just know what's right because I feel it in my stomach, right? And that's how I usually am around uh, uh, dinner time every night. You know, I, I feel right because it is right with my stomach. It is the seat of emotion. It is the place of emotion. If any of you have experienced affection, the context is once again Christ. Any sympathy, sympathy is compassion and mercy. It's tenderness, literally feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. This affection and this sympathy, uh, love God, but love others as well. It flows out from our love of God. If you have any affection and sympathy for others, then. Let me, let me just say this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. So if there's any comfort from love. So if any participation in the Spirit. So if any affection and sympathy then we see the positive effects, the actions which flow from every one of us in this room. Should. But the question I have before I go there is this. Has not, done, has not Christ done all of these things in the gospel for us? Verse 2. You have these lines. You have these causatives. Therefore, or then, here it is before us. Complete my joy. So if, then, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord. The full accord means harmony with one to another. Paul is saying, so if you know all these things, if you've experienced these things, if you know them intimately and adequately well in the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
We are all of us enemies of the gospel. We were sinners saved by grace. All of us. We slapped God in his face. And all he did in return is love us and die for us and raise us anew to life to be his children. If we know anything of these, then you of all people should share in these things. You of all people in the world are to be walking, living, and breathing embodiments of such realities in life and ministry. So if you, church, know these things, then you are the ones who should be modeling the thens that we're getting ready to look at here in a second. And honestly, those lists that we just had should be applied to us as well. But here's the question. Is this and has this been the picture that most people see of individuals in the church today? Now, I use that very broadly. That's a very general statement. I'm not talking about the church. I'm just talking about church in general. Again, I am not speaking of the matters of needed division. There are matters of needed division. There are doctrinal, theological uh, issues of first, and maybe even sometimes they enter into secondary importances that we must not uh, give up, that we must not uh, uh, become cowardly over and back out on. We cannot. And in this world, there will be divisions over those things. But how and in what spirit such division is founded is still vitally important in the life of the church. And, And the Apostle Paul says this, so if. Then make my joy complete by, here it is, number one, being of the same mind. Literally, one soul. It is to live in selfless harmony with fellow believers. But its very definition, by its very definition, it excludes personal comforts. It excludes ambitions, selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, and the countless other evils that are the fruit of self-love. And the root of causes of disunity within the life of the church. Then he goes on to say, be of the same mind in full accord. This is intention of one purpose as a church. Literally means thinking one thing. It's singular in focus. Here's a question I have for us as a church. Church, what is our shared purpose here at College Acres? What is our shared reality, our focus, our goals, and our desires? True unity... It's not simply a smile and an outward appearance of peace. Listen to me. It is a white-hot togetherness in a shared vision and direction which goes unabated for God's glory. You sit there and say, well, we're unified, but unified over what? Yes, unified over something. Unity has to come by something. There is a desire today, and I would say this, there is a fake unity in the world And in the church for which we are not speaking of. And what I mean by that is this. Oh, Satan knows what he does and he knows what he does very, very well. We've got to call him out for that. We've got to give him that much at least. Unity that comes by this way. Unity that goes like this. Hey, what do you think about, I say to the church, hey church, what do you think about Jesus? And then I look at every one of us and I go, Well, let's not get too high, let's not get too deep, because, you know, when you start getting a little deep, people start disagreeing a lot. So let's just take Jesus Christ, the gospel, the lowest common denominator. What do we all get along with? What do we all agree on? Hey, who loves Jesus? Raise your hand. Oh, everyone loves Jesus. How many of y'all love missions? Well, missions, all right. We love Jesus, we love missions. How many love children? Children, good. Let's all get together on those three things. Look at us, we are a church, you're a church unified. People walking off the street and they go, man, let me see your unity. What's the thing that holds y'all together? We love Jesus, we, we love missions, and we love kids. Oh, how do you love them? In what way? Define that. We just do. Well, can you explain that a little bit more? We try not to explain much. We want to be unified. Let's just take it all down to the closest common denominator so that we can look at each other and go, ha, huh. I still like you this Sunday. <laughs> hey, brother. Hey, I'm here worshiping this morning. I didn't get, I didn't have no any bumps and no bruises this week to anybody, so I can just come in here and, hey, I still like you, <laughs> based on nothing. This, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. There has been often times where I've been in part of, of church uh, groups or movements or whatever, uh, denominational church. Look, people come together at conferences. Look, at we're all unified. We're all unified. It's like, yeah, you're unified over nothing. It's easy to be unified over nothing. Did you know that? It's sometimes easy to be unified over something. But here's the question. 
What's the something? We're unified over underwater basket weaving. That's, the, that's what we're, we're unified over that. Okay, great. That's easy. It's easy to be unified with people who say the same thing that you say and believe that you believe. It's easy. It practices no spiritual uh, discernment. It practices nothing. You don't have to do anything to get around people who like the things that you like and hates the things that you hate. It says, it says the things that you say and won't say the things that you don't say. How hard is it to get around people like that? I like hunting and the University of Tennessee. And I'm going to say, yeah, me too. Well, I think hunting's stupid and the University of Tennessee isn't even a real school. We should hang out sometime. Nah! It's harder. And what I want you to see is this. True Christian unity always needs to be unity founded upon the truth. I am saying that, so please don't hear me say something else other than what I'm saying. It is not like nailing jello to a wall. It is not subjective and untethered. Please do not hear me say something I'm not saying. That for the sake of unity, we have to like give up our moorings and our, our, our places of foundation. No, 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 don't do that at all. Actually, Pastor Kyle is saying, please don't do that. Lean deeper. Go harder and deeper into the things that are our God. Let's look at these things. Let's bring our eyes higher and let's see what we actually are unified around. Let people see that that is the unity that brings us together in the church. John Calvin has said this. Peace is not to be purchased by the sacrifice of truth. Charles Spurgeon said to pursue union at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus. Mark Dever said, it is not humble to be hesitant where God has been clear and plain. And I just want you to know that when I'm calling forth for spiritual unity, this is not what I'm saying that we are to do to get it. We don't sacrifice truth to quote unquote have unity. That's not what we're saying. Again, the point is when we experience division and disunity solely based on opinion on personal preferences, on comforts and traditions, and regardless of whether or not someone believes something uh, irrationally or not true or whether or not that brings about the division, that can happen, even if they're the enemies of the gospel, in the way that we deal and behave towards others and them, it all matters. And Jesus has not left us unable to understand what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. There's a side note that I give you here real quick. Please listen to me. For, For the sake of the unity of the church... First, exhaust asking questions and seeking clarity from a teachable spirit. Rather than assuming first and or coming up with your own truth. In a world of speak your truth, brothers and sisters, we are a people who seek the truth. And remember, love rejoices with the truth. In the book of uh, Proverbs, I think I have this on the screen. Proverbs 18, 1-2, listen to this. If you're in the midst, if you're in the people of God, if, you're, if you say, I am with them... Listen to what the proverb says. This is a, the book of wisdom and it says to us, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. In other words, unity doesn't just happen. Listen, unity seeks out. It pursues, it leans in, it does not isolate or run away. It doesn't become untethered from the whole. To really seek for unity, the key word I just used was seek. Unity is hard. It's not easy. At least not in the biblical sense, we'll see in a minute. It pursues. It says whoever isolates himself, he does so to his own desires. He breaks out all against sound judgment. That is not wise. To form an opinion off on your own, without the whole, without looking for truth, brothers and sisters, it is an unwise thing to do. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient and it is kind. It, loved, it does not easily, it's not, excuse me, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. You know, I've talked about this uh, illustration before. I, I can't help but use it again because it's just, it, I was talking to Misty about it. She's like, well, you know, you use that before. It's like, I know, but I can't help but not use it again. Uh, my, my dear friend of mine, pastor friend of mine in Tennessee, 
um, once you remember the story, he, he's, he's literally in his Jeep and he's going to go get, uh, he's with his wife and it's raining and it's nasty outside and the weather is not, it's really horrible and, and he jumps out of the front car and he's screaming at his wife and he's like, just, just go on then, go on and he runs to the back and he kind of like just pushes the, the car and she just takes off, off, the, off the, on the highway and he's running after her right behind her. Now, this is at a four-way stop in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he said, I could just see, I could just hear what happened next. One of my church people, somebody from another church, somebody in my neighborhood, they stop and they see the four-way stop, and all of a sudden you hear all, you can hear it, like clockwork, like, hey, I, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Ronnie and Bridget's marriage is doing real well. You should, you should have seen what I saw. It was crazy. He's screaming at her. She just took off down the road. You know what we do in South, right? We all get together in the same room and they go, hey, I think we really need to pray for that family. You know, we pray our gossip. Hey, I just want to, it's none of my business, but I think we really need to pray for them. I don't think their marriage is doing real well. Bless their hearts, let's pray. If you know my brother Ronnie, he tells the story. He says, I can just see, he's been in the church long enough to know what people do. Oftentimes, the pastors, it's really easy to take pop shots. He says, I can just hear it now. The morsel, the nugget. And it goes on to the next, and it goes on to the next. And then finally, it's a, it's a flame. It's a fire. And what can you do? Here's the thing. If you really want to know what happened that day, Ronnie said it's so funny. He says, you don't understand something about Ronnie, my friend. He's a cheapskate. And he was at the, the, the line, and he, like, was trying to get cheaper gas across the line, the state line. And he ran out of gas. And literally, they were on fumes. And the only way that she was probably going to get up for one last little kick was for him to push the vehicle and let it go into neutral all the way down to the next gas station. He said his, his marriage was totally fine. If anything, he said, I love my wife more that day. We were doing good. And it's innocent, and it was, it was nothing, and it was no big deal. And he said, but I can just hear it now. The rumors. Brothers and sisters, this is not the people of God. We're better than this. We cannot be this way. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Christ Jesus has purchased something for us that has alleviated us from ever being able to be that ever again. We cannot. Proverbs 18, 12 through 13. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. To answer before listening, that is folly and it is shame. To, to form an opinion without talking and finding out, that's not wise. That's, that's not wise. Please be careful with this. Do not allow yourself to be Satan's tool in the church. And, and the same could be said of me. Do not play the proverbial fool in Proverbs. Do not pursue disunity and discord over unity, peace, and reconciliation. What am I saying? Yes, unity takes real work. Let me tell you something about disunity. It is easy. It doesn't take a lot of work for us not to like people we don't like. It takes a lot of work, listen, to tolerate people we don't like. I never said you had to like them. You should, and you'll see why in a minute. But to tolerate people you don't like, it takes real work. It's going to be outside of yourself. It's outside of the flesh to do so. Disunity is laziness. Unity is real work. And I'm going to tell you this because I believe the Apostle Paul will say this in a minute. You'll see this. God in Christ Jesus has not given us tools apart from us being able to do this. He's given them to us. He's given us this. Please be careful. Be careful with this. The world is watching just how different we are in this world. Well, what will they see and experience in us? They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another, the Scripture says. Fighting for this true spiritual unity is what the world needs to see us do. So if, then. And we have these before us. These are some of the positive thens. And here's, here, if you look with me in verse 3a, you see the negative side of the thens. It's what to do and, and what not to do, if it were. And here they are, verse 3a. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And no, no surprise that selfishness is seen here first, since it is the sin from which all other sins originate. Do you not remember our mother and father in the Garden of Eden? Selfishness pervaded them. 
They wanted something that God had and they said that they wanted to take it from him and they would have taken it by force if they could have. Do nothing from selfish ambition. The word selfish ambition, the two words, this conjunction of words, it's, it carries the idea, and I think this is really powerful, it carries the idea of, uh, of building oneself up by tearing someone or something else first down. In other words, in order to gain some sort of name or gain for self, another first need lose status, name, or gain. If I look at Alex this morning and I say to Alex, he's in a place of, he's in a place of uh, prestige or honor. And I'm kind of jealous of that fact that he is. And I need a little bit of that for myself. What I need to do is I need to bring him down in order to take some of that which is his and bring it back to myself. How do I make him smaller? How do I make him, how do I bring him down so I look better in the presence of him? Brothers and sisters, this is despicable. That's what we have before us in the text. Selfish ambition. In order for me to get all your chips and poker, in order to receive them, I got to take them from you. And it's this idea of always trying to take, take, take for yourself at the expense of someone else. Further, the word accurately describes someone who strives to advance himself by using, it gets even worse, deceit or false accusation, contentiousness, and or any other tactic in which they find advantageous to their cause. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Not like that. And it goes on to say, do nothing out of conceit. In the K, I, you know, I don't always uh, quote the KJV, but on this one, I really like the KJV version. In the KJV, the word conceit actually says vain glory. It refers to a highly exaggerated self view, which is nothing but empty conceit. Why is it empty? Because you ain't Christ. That's why it's empty. Try to find anything worth valuable in and of yourself apart from Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are bankrupt every moment of the day. It does not do anything. It's not of real worth. It does nothing to better another. It does nothing to strengthen the brethren. It does nothing to seek God's glory at all. It is self-focused and it is pride-filled. And the only unity that individuals such as these possess, this person seeks is the unity surrounding his or own ideas, his or own opinions, goals, and convictions. In other words, you can find, you can find and be friends with such a person as long as you agree with them. The moment you disagree with them, they ain't your friend no more. I like people who think like me and say like me. When you don't think like me and say like me, you got to get to going. This is not the way of Christ. And if you do not agree with them, they may seek to destroy you. And I mean that by varying levels of intensity. Verse 3b and 4, look at this. You know one of my favorite words in the Bible is what? But. But. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Mark it down. Christian love often speaks. But if it does so, remove from, but it does so, remove from the sinful action and comfort of gossip and murmuring unto people in general, the generality of people. Listen, I always say this before. If you have to murmur, if you have to gossip, if you just got to do it, let me give you an encouragement. Do it to the person that you're trying to gossip, gossip and murmur about. All right? Go gossip to the person you want to gossip about. Go murmur. Hey, can I whisper something in your ear? I was going to tell this to four other people, but I'm going to tell you first. I don't like you. <laughs> Thank you. That's helpful. I'm glad you came to me first. Yeah, because I know what you did last week. I saw it. I just know what happened. Good thing you didn't talk to anybody first. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is simple stuff. This is stuff that our ch children should understand. Not only is it gossiping, is it a gossiping tongue, a sower of discord, and a believer unwilling to approach and pursue as to rejoice with the truth, being used as a Satan, a tool of Satan, yes, as a fool. Not only are they acting in a way God hates, ultimately such an individual is a coward. Because oftentimes when we do this, the murmuring and the gossip, it's a passive-aggressive way of doing things, lacking any sense of propriety and love to another. Stop being a coward. That sounds really harsh, Kyle. No, you'll see why in a minute. Look at the text. It says, look out for the interest of others. 
do nothing out of conceit. Selfish ambition or conceit, look for the, out for the interest of others. It is, it is others-focused. It's not me-focused, it's others-focused. This is the key in cases of seeking to better know the truth and to have a clear understanding, rejoicing with that truth, or in desiring to see someone as a believer warned and loved away from error or dangerous patterns which threatens their joy and the glory of God in their witness. In other words, speaking, while conflict can emerge, and it does often happen, it can also be the attempt of a peacemaker. And we've got to start putting these things in the in, in, in where they need to be and where they belong. And brothers, what I'm trying to say is this. No two Christians, no matter what level of spiritual maturity and knowledge of Scripture, will understand everything exactly alike. But if they are controlled by humility, if they are controlled by love, if they are intent on one purpose, meaning God's glory, and another's good, meaning the joy and the witness of others, there will be genuine unity of spirit. There must, there should. So if, then... Paul's point is this. Despite our sinful self-centeredness, the preoccupation with our own ideas, our own preferences and traditions, our own conveniences and comfort that is so intrinsic to every fallen man of Adam, the triune God has encouraged us, comforted us, loved us. Yes, he has given us a model to be this in the lives of other people. Will the world see this in us? Will they experience in us? You see... We have been stepping together, church, as I get close to my conclusion. We've been stepping through the first sections of Philippians. And for the last couple weeks, uh, thank you, Scott, for continually going in that with us. We have been looking at Paul's desire. And as an example, for the church here in Philippi to stand together in the midst of difficulty and in shared vision, in shared purpose and goal. However, this morning, we have a greater example than Paul. But now, we are getting ready for the big show. Now, we are getting ready to see the greatest example we have, could possibly ever know as Christian men and women. The example and the substance of Jesus Christ himself. If Paul has been giving us the recipe of how to have spiritual unity, now Paul is giving us the secret sauce, the main ingredient. It is Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinners. If you will, please stand with me once again in reverence of God's word as we read 5 and 11 together. Everything we've looked at to this point has come to the reality and the moment that we stand before it. This text. So if then, brothers, so if these things are applied to you, then do these things, then do not do these things. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at every name that Jesus, uh, of, of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father it is all because of Christ it is why and how can we do this it is all because of what he is and what he has done and not what we are and what we can do apart from him you may be seated this morning Kyle why aren't you going to expound that text because I just did it at Christmas remember that I'm not going to do it again. If you want to go back, if you want to hear that text to pass expounded upon, please go back and listen to some of our Christmas messages. We handled this at Christmas. Love. When we look at the cross and what Christ, listen to me, as Christian men and women, all of us, no matter what your personality type is, listen to me. Love in my encouragement to others. And I'm not talking about flattery. Flattery is different than encouragement. And most of the time we know the difference between the two. Encouragement, when I encourage someone, it's for their good. Flattery is to encourage someone in order for me to get something from it. We're not talking about flattery here. We're talking about straight encouragement for the life and the good of another person. That is a very loving thing to do, and we need to do it, and we need to do it often. Some of you in this room, you're not really good at loving people with encouragement. Let's just be honest. Same with me. 
But when you encourage someone, it can be very loving. But there are some of us who love in confrontation. And, and brothers and sisters, that can be very, very loving. Some of you like loving people with confrontation a little too much. And when you do that, I promise you, you can, you can swiftly fall off into the pattern of sin in your own heart. We're not talking about that. We're talking about confrontation that is also, again, for the good of another, I get nothing in return. I don't feel a certain way because I confronted you. I don't feel better than or like, <laughs> I am the truth. I, I helped that person out. I'll tell you what, without me, they would be. You can fall off both sides of this saddle. Lacking encouragement. Lacking confrontation. You can be loving in your encouragement. You can be loving in your confrontation. Both of these are loving. And if I did any one of these as a personal individual, uh, me as Kyle, if I do these things, I love no more and no less in the action of the two. It can happen. There are times that in my failure to do either, it can be seen as sinful and loving unhelpful. You can confront and you can encourage and it be loving. You can encourage flattery and you can confront egocentric, you know, and it can be very unloving. Sin is not always in the one who speaks, and it can be. But what I want you to know this morning is this. The Christian faith speaks. We are called to be bold, yet humble, fearless, and yet selfless, honest, and yet gentle and kind in our communication and fellowship for God's glory. When you murmur, it is for the good, is it for the good of the one you speak of? When you whisper assumption without communication and feel it your personal ministry to tell your thoughts to others without that communication, how well are you loving another? How is God being further glorified in the church? When we do these things, are we acting as spiritually mature individuals or are we actually acting as those who are spiritually immature? And I want you to know that there's a lot of ways to measure spiritual maturity. Bible knowledge, sure. Dependence upon God's word, spirit, sure. Giving, yes. But on this area, you can be a very amazing theologian and still get this one wrong. And sometimes I wonder if that theology has really hardened your heart instead of made you mushier and smushier and a lot better for the gospel of Jesus Christ, his glory and the good of another. Be careful. Conclusion. Do you have a Christian brother or sister with whom you are not speaking or in whom you are on bad terms with? I'm not talking about being best friends with anyone. I'm not even talking about those moments where it might be better to sever certain things that we can get into that. That's an old another sermon for another day. But I am speaking of this, those moments where you pursue peace. Is this so? Then I tell you on the authority of this text this morning, as we just see it as it is laid out before us, there is something very lacking in our spiritual walk if this is the, the case normally. If you see those things without other circumstances and situations that we could point to, but this one. Lack of fellowship with other Christians. Listen, mark it down. It is not of God's doing, nor of his design. It indicates a lack of fellowship with Christ. A closeness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we, of all people know who we are apart from Jesus Christ, have experienced the, Almighty, the goodness and the grace of Almighty God in the gospel. If we know what we were and who we were apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, then it ought to change us. So if we have these things in Christ, close proximity, then something must flow out. It needs to be seen and experienced in us. Remember, unity must be pursued. Unity is something we work towards. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't. Jesus Christ has not slipped up in regard to his picture and sufficiency. Within the picture of the gospel, it is perfectly sufficient for every one of us here. In other words, we who have been saved much and graced much, rebels apart from Christ. And remember, should we have not built in us a powerful tool for that same reality in our own lives towards other people? Not being able to talk and or at least tolerate each other in gospel grace... May it not be said of us. Love and mercy. We're not able to do that. It's a symptom. It's, it's, it's a byproduct of a deeper issue. And the issue is that our relationship with God needs some attention. Right theology, Bible reading, personal prayer, while all great things is not the only qualifier of spiritual maturity and closeness with Christ. 
And this morning, Paul establishes that he himself knows this. To the Philippians, he says, make my joy complete. As a shepherd, make my joy complete. In hearing that you conduct yourselves in like fashion. God has invested. Yes, listen. God in Christ Jesus has invested into your unity. What I'm saying is he's purchased it. Like he purchased it for us. With each other. Because of the gospel. He says you want to know how to act? Look, how did I act towards you? You want to know what to give others? Look what I gave to you. Disunity among his people deeply grieves the heart of God. No one, no matter how annoying they may be, shoot, many of you annoy me. And before you laugh at that, I annoy you, I know. None of you have ever offended me more. None of you have ever offended me more. Nor any of you have ever been offended more than Christ has been offended in us. None of you have loved me less and sought for self as much. I have never not done that myself in a way that I have not myself done to Jesus Christ. How many of you are offended in this room about anything? Don't raise your hand. Please keep them down because I'm going to say something. You'll be like, ah, I'm offended by what you just did. Keep your hands down because please let me hear, say, I'm going to say something. I want you to hear it with all the love I can muster. Every one of you in this room, including me, have no reason to be offended. There has only been one who is offended, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for us, church. The Apostle Paul stands before us this morning. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 and says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and let me ask, I'm going to say something, and I want to, I'm, I, I, this is interactive. You don't have to say anything. doesn't mean you're holy or not holy. But I will take an amen, okay? He's like, that pastor's looking for an amen. No, I am. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, how many of you have been encouraged in Christ? Amen. Any comfort from love? Amen. Any participation in the Spirit? Amen. Any affection and sympathy? Amen. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though it was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing that he grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will they see that in us? Will the world around us see these things? It is interesting. We're talking about, we're praying through right now, uh, a possibility of a merger. And let me tell you, I'm going to share something. And I, hope I, don't, I hope I don't mess up. Some of you sometimes want to know what my biggest fear is. And I've been talking about all the encouragements that I have about this merger. But I haven't told you, maybe I've told you, can I tell you one of my fears? Is it okay, church, can I do that this morning? Okay, thank you. I was going to do it anyway. My fear is that you get two congregations coming together and we won't try to practice this enough. It's my biggest fear. We can do it. If the Lord leads us to do that. I'm not saying that we, we're going to take a vote next or soon. We're going to find out that we may, maybe that's not what God's calling us to do at all. But if he's calling us to do that, brothers and sisters, listen to me. It's going to take real work at front. It's going to take real work. They decorated the stage in a way I don't like it. That music's this way. That thing's this way. Kyle's on the, brothers and sisters, look. Unity takes work. 
But God has given us everything we need to be able to grab it and grab hold of it tightly. Amen? He's given us everything we need to see it happen. And when it happens, the world looks out there into this and says, how did it happen? And we say, all by God's mercy and grace and strength. All glory be to Christ. Amen? Can you write a book about it? Nah, there's already been a book written about it. You got any t-shirts? Nah, God is good. He will receive all glory and all honor and all praise. If it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, I've got some good news for you. God receives all glory and God gets all praise. Amen?